Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. At this point, most shows are winding down. Roy is just getting started. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Methinks thou protesteth too much, Bill Morneau. Methinks thou protesteth too much. It's time to resign. If you're, if you're, if you're telling media, I was trying to explain why it took you two years to explain what you were doing. It's time to go. It really is. When you're the finance minister of the country, there can be no warts or blemishes. There can't. And um, if you don't go, then the prime minister should be asking for your resignation. It's just the way it is. It wouldn't matter if it was conservative or socialist. No. Finance minister, you can't have any questions about money. Your own, the trail you went to the job, you can't. You don't have to be a nuclear scientist to figure that out. I'm going to talk to two people here. One of them is um, a repeat guest on this program. I've, she's actually become a personal friend. We've never met each other. She lives thousands of miles away, but we've become friends because I feel so terrible about what's happened to her, and I admire her her courage and her tenacity so tremendously. Her name is Atoya Montague, who no doubt will remember Ms. Montague, and she continues with her legal challenge against the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for the sexual harassment and the sexual abuse that she has accused management within the RCMP of putting up with, as all of these things were taking place against her. She's told us in the past about some of the things that were said and some of the things that were done to her. And, uh, Otoya, it's great to speak with you again. And let me guess, your court date's still not in court, right? No, that's right, Roy. I won't be in uh, court until the end of June 2018. And my case drags on. Uh, the Department of Justice, which is the government body who defends the RCMP in these several cases like mine, is making me go through, you know, a whole new set of hoops. Um, I've been nonstop slammed with requests from them for the past two months, and I have to now fly to Vancouver for four straight days of medical examinations by what they consider to be independent doctors, two of those that are requested by um, 
Department of Justice or with a forensic psychiatrist who's going to spend 16 hours with me, God doing God knows what, to examine me. Um, even my psychiatrist can't fathom what could possibly take that long. Um, you know, and I have to have economic reports done. And all these exams and reports are going to cost somewhere in the vicinity of $30,000 to me personally, not, not to mention what it's going to cost a taxpayer on their end. And then they're going to have me come back again several months after that to do examinations for discoveries. And that'll cost a whole other bundle of money for both parties, me and the taxpayers. And then, of course, um, I have to come back in June for a trial, which, of course, you know, was initially set for five days. But because defense has increased it to five-week trial, it's now going to cost me personally $200,000 to see that trial through. And again, I have one lawyer. Imagine what you know, the defense has a number of them. So imagine again what that number figure looks like on the government side uh, to continue to defend themselves against me. And meanwhile, the principal harasser named in my lawsuit is currently on criminal trial for sexually assaulting an employee in my unit and has admitted on the stand during that trial to pursuing her and luring her to a workplace washroom in an attempt to have sex with her. And boy, i got to tell you, I'm really having a hard time with this. Given we've already been at this more than four years for my lawsuit, and five years if you include my human rights complaint that I filed in 2012, um, you know, I look at some of these high-power women in the U.S. who've come forward, like Gretchen Carlson with Fox News, who initially filed her lawsuit against Roger Ailes in July 2016, and within two months, she had her settlement, he was fired, and here we are a year and a half later, and she's on the talk show circuit with a book. It's all behind her. She's passed all of this now and on to newer ventures and it really makes me wonder why in Canada a woman like me who was in a leadership position with the RCMP for a number of years has a top secret security clearance has to suffer for years on end more harassment more denial surveillance on me um, disparagement further emotional and physical suffering financial ruin not to mention being fired in the process in order to achieve justice like, we have a real problem here. When is this abuse going to stop? When are women going to be believed in Canada? When are we, as a society, going to no longer condone this type of behavior? You know, well, well Ataya, Ataya, if you'd just been a good yeah. girl and let the boys do what they wanted to do, it never would have been a problem. <laughs> you know how many friends have said that to me and Jess. You know, Toya, you're just doing the wrong thing. They thought you were going to walk in their office and drop to your knees and, you know, perform oral sex on them. What were you doing trying to give them strategic counsel and advice as per your job description? That's not what you were there for in their mind. And I remember people saying that to me and being shocked, like, what? And then thinking, oh, my God, looking back, when you analyze your working day, you think maybe that's what was happening. They actually thought that's what was going to go on. Because when you're doing your job, they're kind of looking at you like, why are you talking? Why is she participating here? I guess you're supposed to be batting your eyelashes at them and rolling your head back and laughing at their lame jokes, not doing your job, right? So, um, and you know what, Roy, the sad part is with this whole Weinstein case uh, blowing up all over the news and the Me Too campaign, what all it's illustrating, first of all, that is identical to what went on inside the RCMP and continues to go on. Any situation where you have an organization or a company where there's a major power imbalance, usually with men... <laughs> who have that kind of power, the people around them are willing to look the other way and condone the behavior. 
like, make no mistake, people within the RCMP are witnessing this happening, but power protects the predators, so no one speaks up. Because, for example, I'm talking to someone now who has a complaint against the commissioner of the RCMP, and, and frankly, she's so fed up, she's willing to go public with her story. And even Goodale doesn't know what to do because of the corruption against uh, charge against the commissioner of the RCMP, and there's no process. There's absolutely nothing written anywhere with the government or the RCMP on how to handle a case against a commissioner. The system's set up to let them get away with whatever they want. So, of course, they do, you know. And and then we have this movement with the Me Too campaign. And you've got our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, on the news, Global News, I believe, this week aired it, saying that this Me Too campaign is an awakening and it means the world to him. And I'm having a hard time understanding how it is in our country when starting back in 1986 we had a group of women come forward from the RCMP saying we are being mistreated, harassed, assaulted, discriminated against, and the government then did nothing but bury it. Fast forward, you know, almost another 30 years in 2011, and you've got a droves of women coming out, both from the RCMP and police organizations and fire departments across Canada saying it's happening to us too. I know thousands of people have written personal letters to Trudeau, Goodale, you name it, informing them the details, providing the facts. We've had a number of reports into it, and yet our government still hasn't done anything except give a modest sum of money to the class action women to hush them up and send them away. Right, and on the day, on the day, Mr. Goodale spoke to the country about the class action suit and about the women who were being abused within the RCMP. He used your name. He mentioned you. Yeah. But but he's got but he's done nothing for you. When I contacted them on your behalf, and I said, you know, let's talk, and I, I've been authorized by Atoya to approach you on, on her behalf. I got some gobbledygook e- email back that made no sense whatsoever, and then they went they went dark. That was it. I have to yeah. take a break. Atoya, I have to take a break, and then we're going to introduce uh, Inspector Stephen Goad into the conversation, because the things that you've said and concern you and your experiences within the RCMP, they concern Inspector Goad as well. Please stay with us. Roy won't take no or no comment sitting down. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Email to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. I'm on Twitter at the Roy Green Show. You'll find us on Facebook, and you can hear any of the interviews that we air on Facebook or on our podcast on the Roy Green Show page of the Chorus Radio Station's website, the station you're listening to now. Joining me, and Atoya Montague is staying with us, but joining us now is RCMP Inspector Stephen Goad. We've spoken with retired RCMP officers in the past, but Inspector Goad is an active officer within the RCMP. And, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the show. You and I spent some time talking off the air the other day. And, and you charge the management of the National Police Service, if I understand it all correctly, uh, the National Police Service is failing employees, police officers and non-officer employees, and no one really cares. Does this have to do with the mental health issues like PTSD or that and more, including what we heard about what Otoya experienced? Well, Roy, first of all, you know, thank you very much for having me on the show and uh, sharing this time with Atoya. And it has to do with exactly all of that that you spoke about. I mean, keep in mind, this 
what I'm doing here today, it's not about revenge. It's not about my hatred towards the Force, because it's quite the opposite. You know, I love the Force, Roy. I'm a, I'm a kid that comes from a First Nation community in Nova Scotia, and if it wasn't for the opportunities I had in the Force, I probably wouldn't be where I am today. So first and foremost, this is about the love of the organization and, and not putting up for for where we're going and what we're doing to our employees. And this is my perspective only, and I'm going to talk about my experiences. You know, hopefully uh, today, you know, we'll be able to get conversations started by the time we're done today. They'll get talking in order to start resolving these issues that are affecting our employees in these situations. And yeah, you're right. I definitely want to bring awareness to mental health and and to the PTSD issue within the force, because I really believe we're just scratching the surface. surface. If our employees actually put their mental health first, um, the force is going to find itself in a critical spot. And it's just continuing to get worse with our existing uh, employees, including myself, that are dealing with mental health issues, in how the force is internally treating us. And, and the effects of that cannibalism nature is hurting the organization. Uh, society, we've got to change our perspective around mental health. You know what? We go to the gym to take care of our bodies, Roy, or to work out, to stay in shape. Well, as a society, we've got to start wrapping our head around that same analogy, but tie it into the mind. We've got to take care of the mind. It's just as important to get us through. And, um, and you were right when you mentioned nobody's listening. That's why I'm here today. Nobody is listening internally. I can speak from personal perspective. You know, door slammed and door shut. Nobody wants to hear it. Nobody wants to talk about the pink elephant in the room. And you're an inspector. You're a leader on, on the force. And and you don't get the support that you that you require. By the way, you wrote an amazing poem about about the force and your experience. And uh, I want to ask you a little bit later whether our our listeners can obtain that uh, yeah. in any form. But what what needs to be? What do you want to start with, uh, Steve? What's what's the? Do you want to start with your story? Well, yeah, sure. I I, I don't mind sharing my story. You know, because uh, because again, I mean. I've had lots of support from members and employees across this country this week, but you know what? Yeah, I'll, I'll speak about mine in particular, Roy. Sure. Um, you know, it was the summer of 2014. I mean, to date, I've got 25 years in this organization. I'm very proud of my service. You know, I put my record out there in front of the public anytime and compare it to anybody. And you know what? I'd be, I'd be an average good police officer just like anybody else. And, you know, in the summer of 2014, uh, at that point, would have been, what, 20, 20, Two, 21 years of policing caught up to me and uh, and I hit this point where uh, you know I remember breaking down in the shower crying and I had uh, two options it was either kill myself or uh, live and you know I chose I chose to live because there was no option C Roy and uh, and that was the start of realizing that there's a different road I had to go down. And by going down that road, you know, it brought great fear over, you know, worrying about how I'd be seen by my peers, how this is going to affect me organizationally. And, you know, the RCMP today, we have more support than ever before as far as being able to access mental health, because we all know that wasn't a thing in the past. But what we're failing is internally, we are creating obstacles internally that we don't need to create that are eating our own. And people like me who go through this stuff feel like the force wants us to either end up putting a gun in our mouth or hanging ourselves from a rope. And that sounds horrible and that is harsh, but that's the reality of what members and employees are feeling like who are on long-term ODS 
trying to fight to get back, and then the force throws these obstacles in the way. Now, like I say, in 2014, I started to break, and in two, well, I broke. And in 2015, in May of that year, I went off work. And one of the most maddening things, and I know we're limited on time, and there's so much to talk about, is the internal process I had to go to access mental health I, uh, care. And I went and I did that, and I've got, I got four or five appointments under my belt, and then came the point when I had to um, submit for further. And our process of doing that is so absurd. You know, elementary school students would say, what, why, why would you go this route? So at that point, to access more mental health services, you have to fill out forms uh, on a hazardous occurrence report, which is meant for when you slip in the parking lot, Roy, because this hazardous occurrence report you fill out goes in and says, oh, this employee slipped on the parking lot. Let's send it to the committee, and the committee would say, oh, we better make sure somebody puts salt on that parking lot, uh, you know, as soon as it starts to snow, for example. But that, they, I had to put my mental health stuff on that same form, and I had to submit it the same way. I had to submit it to my boss who was surprised because I was doing this all on my own and I was managing it. But now I had to bring it out to, to get further help. He reads it and obviously says, oh, well, now I've got to notify the CO. And I said, yep, sure, you know, do what you got to do. And within two hours of that, I lose my command as a critical incident commander, one of four in the division, Roy. And that, that started the blows right off the bat. You know, uh, since then I attended over 300-plus psychologist appointments, in October of uh, 2016, I put my hand up to do a return to work. Met all the, crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, worked with the return to work coordinator, and I went back. I got four weeks into it, Roy, and for personal reasons, I, I had to step away again. Well, of course, you know, once you fall off that horse, you get back on, and that's what I did. And, and in January of this past year, I put my hand up again, and I did all the same things, Roy, that I had to do to get back in October. Everything identical. I had my doctors on board. I had my psychologists on board. I picked the date in January that I was ready to go back to work, submitted my stuff. I asked for my meetings with my boss. And you know what? The force changed the complete game overnight, uh, starting with the highest-ranking officer in the division. And that floored me because they came to me and said, you're going to take on a different role when you come back to work because this is what's best for you. Well, you, how can you determine what's best for me with zero consultation with me, without consulting with my physicians? And then the worst part is, it wasn't even a negotiation part. It was, you're going to do this. And you, now, and you, but you were on the force for 25 years. Yeah, it's 25 years now. Yep, that's right, 25 years, yeah. And, uh, and I'll tell you, this led to the point where I tried to deal with this internally. You know, two meetings with the CO, uh, uh, resulted in obviously where we are today, where I fired it, file, ended up filing a human rights complaint. I had to A-tip them, Roy, because nobody was being truthful with me. You know, they wanted me to switch roles for my benefit. Now, I'm going to tell you this. It's not like, A, I slept with an employee. B, I'm a poor performer. C, I had uh, nothing but excellent uh, annual assessments. Um, D, my team and I met and exceeded everything that was ever asked of us. So it made no sense to me. Now, Why Steve, do you want to throw this wrench? Steve, yeah. let me get you to hold on because I do have to take a break. Okay. We're going to come back with Inspector Stephen Goad. We're going to come back with Atoya Montague. And we'll talk more to them about their experiences with the RCMP and their concerns. And uh, as you're hearing, these concerns are considerable. And these aren't people who just arrived on the scene, worked for a couple of days for the RCMP, longtime employees. We'll come right back. Standing up for the little guy for the greater good. This is the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. 
We are back. And before the end of the program, at the end of the hour, both the same thing, I'm going to play back for you Dr. Zudi Jasser yesterday on this program, founder of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, telling us that tomorrow, 3.30 tomorrow afternoon Eastern Time, he will be uh, speaking to the Heritage Committee in the Canadian Parliament about M103. They've invited uh, Dr. Jasser to come in from Arizona, and uh, he will be there. And I'm going to play back for you what Dr. Jasser said to us yesterday about M103. He's no fan. And we have a new weekly feature, the latest lifestyle and entertainment news from globalnews.ca. And Marilisa Recco has uh, put together a great feature, and you're going to hear Marilisa with the, the material. I'm looking forward to this. So that's going to be just before the end of the program. Back to Atoya Montague and uh, Stephen Goad. Stephen Goad is an inspector with the RCMP. Atoya Montague continues to try to get justice for the sexual harassment and the sexual abuse that uh, she alleges took place and uh, wants her court date, but it keeps getting pushed back. I want to ask you both a question. And uh, Toy, I'm going to begin with you. What impact on your life and on your future life is what what's happened to you within the RCMP? And Atoy, your, your name is out there. People know who you are. And I know there's a I, I am I, I know there's far there's a tremendous amount of empathy for you, but there's there's going to be an impact on your life. What do you expect? Or it's already happened. Yeah. What can you speak? What can you say about that? I, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because it's a point I want to make. Is that the reason we need to change as organizations? Not just because these behaviors are wrong. It's because the impact on the person's life. I was once a healthy, outgoing, vibrant, ambitious woman giving my all to the RCMP. I owned a home. I had a serious relationship. I traveled. I was active. I loved to socialize with my friends. You know, I went away on uh, girls' trips. I did all of those things. And now, as a result of the ongoing trauma and harassment and discrimination I have experienced for the past 15 years, I'm a shell of my former self. I'm not even recognizable to my family and friends anymore. And I have a list of medical conditions as long as my arm. I have difficulty leaving my home. I am antisocial. I have plagued with migraines. I mean, I have medical issues that prevent me from leaving the house. PTSD has gotten so much worse over the past five years in the legal battle. You think your problems are bad when you show up at the lawyer's office in desperation. I've tried everything else. I can't get justice. What do I do? And then the lawyer says to you, it's not going to get any better here but it will give you justice. So you carry through it. But I'm telling you, they're trying. It, it, what Steve said is so profound and so true. Tr- they basically want you to, to self-destruct or kill yourself because they just don't want to deal with you. You're now a problem. You're no good to us. Just because, and they are the ones that caused the abuse in the first place. And that's been accepted by Veteran Affairs and a number of other bodies around. But the RCMP f- refuses to take accountability, you know. And that's what's happening to Steve and so many other... Um, public service employees, civilian members, regular ranking members, senior officers, and I just pray that we see more brave senior ranking officers come forward and do what Steve's doing because they do have the power to change this culture while we wait for the government who's been dragging on implementing the recommendations of Ian McPhail. Let me ask ask Inspector Goad, and we're not here to uh, just take shots at the RCMP. We've been talking about these issues as they've affected women and RCMP members for years on this program, and in and in great detail. Inspector Goad, uh, there are other issues that you wrote about that I want to talk to you about, but we haven't got the time. We'll have you back. But tell us, please, what do you expect the impact to be of what, you have, what you're doing, challenging the force openly, 
as a, as a senior officer of the RCMP, what's going to happen to you? Well, Roy, I, uh, I don't have a lawyer today, but I very well may need one after today. <laughs> uh, but uh, honestly, you know, I, there will be repercussions for this today. But here's what I'm hoping for my fellow commission officers out there, especially at the highest ranks where you can make the difference. Somebody's going to order a code on me, potentially, for speaking out against the force. And I'm okay with that, because I believe in what I'm saying. What does that mean? But, well, that means they're going to punish me. I have zero discipline in 25 years, and quite con- to the contrary, I have lots of accolades from internal, external, provincial, federally, internationally for my work. But, Roy, I've never been disciplined, and I will be disciplined for speaking out. But I will tell you this. The commissioned officer that writes that code of conduct on me, I guarantee you, their skin is going to be, they're squirming in their skin with the conversations I'm talking about. And those that aren't, those that are out there that are still good leaders or believe in it, well, you'll listen to what I'm saying, you'll listen to what the others are saying. It's time to make a stand, and it's time to say, okay, we've got this, you know, these these people are bringing these points up. Is there any merit to it? Yeah, let's have these discussions. This is stuff we can fix internally. We don't need legislative change to fix it. And you didn't just write about uh, mental health issues. You wrote about issues that uh, that broadly affect the force and, and affect, affect morale within the force. Like, we, we, I wish we had more time, but we don't. But let, you, 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 you mentioned nepotism as, as an issue. Nepotism and corruption is rampant in the organization today, okay? And I don't mean corruption as far as gangster style or organized crime, but corruption in giving away your values and your ethics for what is right in order to obtain promotion, order to obtain an advancement to go somewhere you may want to go. I mean, these are things that they hold over individuals at the senior officer rank because our whole executive officer development resourcing structure is flawed. And it is all internal, but it is all controlled by a certain few, which if you want those few, if you need that CEO of the division to give you approval to do something, you better be playing ball on that team. Because if you're not, you know what? Chances are you're not going to get what you need, but there's no system, there's no procedures in place to show that you deserve that or you don't deserve that. It's all based on the word of one commanding officer for each division. All right. They call the shots. Inspector Goad, Inspector Stephen Goad, thank you very much. Uh, thanks for trusting me to talk to me about this. Roy, and real quick, I just want to say one thing. I'm also doing this. I love our employees. They are fantastic people. And you know what? If they take my job or they come at me for this, it's going to be worth every bit of it because our people are great people. And one member said they're red to the core. They all want the same thing. They want this organization to be better. We don't want to kill it. We want to make it better. You're a good guy. Atoya, final thoughts in about 30 seconds? Well, I just want to commend Steve for what he just said today. It's a brave, brave act. I will remind your audience he's the first senior-ranking officer to be willing to put himself out there on behalf of the members and employees of this organization. And I am proud to be on the radio with him, and I really do hope it starts a movement with other senior officers that say, you know what, I've had enough of this too. And the more we do that, the more the morale will change. Members will start feeling like, okay, if they care about us, they're going to do something. It's a huge issue, and as you said, we could go on for a lot longer. But I will say this. I'm going to see my situation through to trial because this just has to stop. And maybe by having it all exposed under the microscope of a court okay. system and a neutral party, it might finally really bring to light what's going on. Latoya, thanks for joining us today. Take good care of yourself. Thank you very much, Roy, as always. You're so kind and gracious to us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And, Steve, thank you. We'll uh, we'll stay in touch for sure. I look forward to it. All the best. We'll come back, and I'm going to play back for you what Dr. Zudi Jasser said yesterday. Don't miss this.